those of you who are not on live video, see if you can switch from the stillness of your typed name or image to the beautiful being live on this screen so that we can all appreciate each other. Those of us who began Buddhist practice under Dharma teachers from Japan, Korea, China, Thailand, Tibet, and other places in what we loosely call the East. Whether we were practicing in those countries or with the first generation pioneers who came here to share the Buddha's teachings. We may remember feeling that we could never measure up. We were so hindered by our Western cultural assumptions, our individualism, our materialism, and intellectualism. But over the years, those of us who stuck it out have tried our best to uphold the traditions we inherited with faith, trust, and gratitude for the straight ahead training and unwavering practice. Only more recently have we begun recognizing and honoring our own cultural traditions, some of which the democratic ideal, gender equality, creative expression have been of major importance as Buddhism in America becomes American Buddhism. And this is true, of course, in Europe and other Western countries. Now, we are living through a time of pervasive uncertainty. 
of no knowing. The burgeoning coronavirus. No one knows what to do. The ongoing reckoning with racism and the ever worsening economic disaster. It's said that we practice in good times to be ready for difficult times. But in actuality, there are only good times when we practice deeply. As Umon Zenji put it, every day is a good day. Of course, we may find ourselves begging to differ when we experience overwhelming anxiety and confusion. There is no use in berating ourselves when these emotions arise. That's a waste of energy. We know what to do. Just stop. Just exhale. And just inhale the scent of the moist earth after a summer rain. Looking back, just a few months, really, we can recognize a key delusion. During times of safety, of uh, seeming security, of plenty. When these times seem to be just the way things are, we have unconscious expectations that they will continue. When everything seems to be going well, we may feel it's not so necessary to 
take the training of our heart minds so seriously. But when conditions of tremendous suffering appear, there is a sharpening of motivation. As practitioners, this is our wake-up call, our 911 call. Now, fundamentally, in this non-dual dharma, everything is perfect and complete, just as it is. Sitting in this ultimate perfection, there is, as Rinzai put it, Nothing to do, Buji. And yet, from the great empathy that deepens with consistent. Buddhist practice, we must respond, skillfully respond to the suffering that surrounds us, that wells up from within us. Our four great vows move from the unconditioned, the limitless realm, to what? the specificity of wise action. We recite, beings are numberless, delusions are inexhaustible, the Dharma is fathomless. The Buddha's way is endless. And yet, we vow to save all beings, to extinguish all delusions, to master all the teachings, to follow the Buddha's way. So we cannot ignore the suffering created by systems of oppression, inequality, and injustice. 
And we must recognize the privilege many of us have assumed is ours to own. Here's a quote by Bhikkhu Bodhi in an article he titled From Tragedy Springs Hope that was published in Lion's Roar. While economic and social transformation is essential to eliminate racism at its root, we have to take the project down to a deeper and more personal level. The racist policies and institutions that undergird almost every aspect of life in the United States stem from long entrenched prejudices that ascribe a diminished value to the lives of African-Americans and other people of color, end quote. The Black Lives Matter movement has brought to the fore the many ways systemic racism issues from our nation's history of genocide and enslavement. And it bears repeating that Black Lives Matter doesn't imply that other lives don't matter, but rather that all forms of prejudice and oppression must be called out and challenged. There is a photograph of a sign of an Asian person holding at a protest after George Floyd was killed. And the sign reads in kanji and in English, when black lives are threatened, all lives are threatened. We know that when we chant, however innumerable all beings are, I vow to save, to liberate them all. We include everyone without exception. But we need to be aware that there are those who feel unrepresented, marginalized, and invisible as the Black Lives Movement continues. So I'd like to point out today that Asian Americans 
have been experiencing tremendous animosity ever since the coronavirus was identified and called the Chinese virus by Donald Trump. Anti-Asian hatred has erupted at levels not seen since Japanese were herded into concentration camps during World War II. And since the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, many of our Asian Sangha members have borne verbal slurs, threats, prejudice, and worse. Last month, one of our dear Dharma friends, a young Japanese-American woman, died from a hate crime in New York City. She passed away on Yogen Senzaki's Memorial Day. Senzaki Sensei himself assaulted numerous times, especially during his early years in America, always called upon the Bodhisattva never despised in the Lotus Sutra, who would say to those who threw rocks at him, one day you too will become a Buddha. That absolute trust in Buddha's teaching that all sentient beings without exception can awaken may feel unrealistic or naive, if not overly optimistic when you are being attacked by hurled insults or actual sticks and stones. So the question I have for you today is, what can we, the threefold Sangha, do to support our Asian sisters and brothers. 
we cannot imagine. We must humbly go to ask, what can we do? Certainly sitting together in the refuge of the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, is essential. We can feel the great abundance of loving kindness that flows throughout this digital Dharma realm right here, right now. But perhaps there are additional steps we can take. Again, asking what might be of assistance. Maybe offering to walk with them at a safe distance. When they need to travel to offices or stores, as we did here in Syracuse for the Islamic community after 9-11, when women were afraid to go shopping, when they were afraid to let their children go to school. So more ideas can be shared today, either in chat or during the discussion that follows. But what is most important is to recognize the ways that people have felt unheard, unseen, and we also have to remember that there are many in this country who use the strategy of divide and conquer, fomenting discord between Asian Americans and African Americans, and of course, other groups as well. There is a, an interesting quote by Dr. Anthony Olkamp, who is an associate professor of sociology at Cal Poly Pomona. And he says, the power of Asian Americans standing up for Black Lives Matter is that it sends a clear message, the same racist logic schemes that are keeping our communities down might look different in Black communities from the way they look in Asian American communities, but it's still the same system. It's meant to relegate us to the margins, 
to keep us in subordinate positions, to keep us out of leadership positions. I spent Thursday and Friday on a Zoom conference of the American Zen Teachers Association. And I co-facilitated a workshop on the Black Lives Matter movement. It was embarrassing to have to do that. This white lady, the white man, who was my co-leader. But not one of the 40 teachers attending was black. We talked about our responsibility to develop leaders who are people of color while still adhering to the slow steeping of our training, the apprenticeship model that we have inherited from our Asian teachers. And we spoke of embracing our own cultural ancestors, whether they be Black or Jewish or Latin American or Indigenous or European. bringing a new wholeness to our practice, realizing the non-duality within the specificity. It's complicated. We want to turn on a dime, but we find it requires careful discernment. So here we are. Some of us are new to the practice, others have been sitting for many decades and all of us are are bravely facing this time of great complexity and great opportunity the suffering we feel and see compels us to look more deeply. 
when we find ourselves succumbing to fear, we can remember that fear is the mind-heart killer. Fear is the origin of the three poisons. What is the antidote? Realizing the universal and fundamental truth of impermanence. So sitting with great persistence and determination, clarifying and investigating thoroughly. We carefully pull out one by one the long roots of the fixed beliefs that hold us captive to anxiety, to anger and hostility, to holding on for dear life. And we offer the gift of Dharma, which is the gift of no fear. After all, we are not this small mind, this anxious mind. We are here to experience the great life in everything, in everyone. So let's see through the smoke screen of the small mind and touch what Banke Zenji called the unborn mind. Let the bright illuminative wisdom of this mind be the sight from which our actions flow. <laughs> 